You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are coming off of another Penn State commitment as they continue to build out their 2025 recruiting class, the fourth commitment for that group of the month of February. We're going to break down the latest edition, Lyric Samuel, wide receiver out of New York, with Tyler Cravaruso in just a moment. A little bit later here on the show, you'll hear from Daniel Gallen, our other colleague at Lions247.com, and we'll break down a couple of key uh Updates, I guess you would call them, from both basketball and from football. In the football regard, we had a chance to speak to several veteran members of the 2024 Nittany Lions squad this past weekend following a THON event at practice facilities in Happy Valley. By the way, congratulations to everyone involved with THON this year for the record-breaking fundraising total. Phenomenal work, as always. The football program always plays a bit of a role in that process. And afterward, we did hear about early 2024 team development and some individual progress that we'll share with you. But of course, Penn State basketball just dismissed their leading score on the season in Kanye Clary. So that conversation is also going to come your way as that team still has five games remaining in the regular season and a Big Ten tournament to work its way through. But as promised, we begin by looking back at a Monday evening commitment from Lyric Samuel. We bring in Tyler Calvaruso right now. And we had wondered for a while who would be that first 2025 player to fill a receiver slot in this in that class with Marcus Hagens now leading the charge as receivers coach for a full year at this point. And Lyric Samuel, if you're a fan of big bodied receivers, they've got one here pushing his way towards six foot four, 180 pounds as a high school junior at Erasmus Hall in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, one of the top players out of the state of New York and the first receiver in the 2025 class. You know, you know, Penn State has cast such a wide net at wide receiver throughout this cycle and it's been extending offers from coast to coast. And fittingly, they get to stick in their regional recruiting footprint to get on the board with this wide receiver commitment from Lyric Samuel. You know, big bodied wide out. We've seen him a bunch around State College throughout the course of his recruitment. His offer from the Nittany Lions came in May. He's been on Penn State radar even longer than that. He's camped for the staff. He's participated in seven-on-seven tournaments for the staff. He's been a frequent visitor between Lash Bash and junior days. He's just been around a bunch, and throughout that time, he's been able to form a good relationship with Marcus Higgins, and it got to the point where as time went on and Samuel continued to progress and his recruitment continued to play out, he emerged as a top target for Penn State at wide receiver, and the Nittany Lions were able to get this one done. You know, I think it's a good way for Penn State to kick things off when it comes to his 2025 wide receiver recruiting. Not only is it a regional guy, you know, it's, it continues the run of success in New York. Penn State has done well in the Empire State in recent cycles, signing guys from there. He's just a solid prospect. I think there's a lot of upside here when you look at his raw skill set. I mentioned the big body frame, 6'4", you know, the catch radius is there. He's just, he's going to go up and get it down the field. He plays in a run-heavy offense at Erasmus Hall. So, you know, if you flip on his film, you know, there's only so much you could see. 
but all the feedback from, you know, just those who are familiar with Samuel and those who have been involved in his recruitment from a Penn State side, there's a lot of positivity surrounding this get. So Higgins is on the board. I think it's a pretty solid place for the Nittany Lions to start with their wide receiver recruiting this cycle. And I'll mention that Adiza Isaac, who's now on his way out of Happy Valley and on his way toward the NFL, is a guy who is a stock-up NFL draft prospect. Uh, very pride, uh, very very proud to be from Brooklyn himself. And, and we have seen Penn State uh, hit New York City uh, with, with relative success, I think, over the years. Ty Blanding, of course, made the move uh, most recently to this roster, I believe. But when we look at uh, Lyric Samuel here, as you mentioned, uh, run-heavy offensive attack, but when the ball was thrown his way, good things tended to happen. 27 catches as a junior, which certainly doesn't jump off the page, but he turned those opportunities into 693 yards. And when you do the math there, that's about 25.7 yards per reception on the season. So you're talking about a guy who, when he got his hands on the football, he was picking up major chunks of yardage. And 11 of those 27 catches, Tyler, resulted in touchdowns. So you're, I mean, this is kind of the way receiver uh, recruiting works. You, you get guys who may only catch 20 to 30 passes on the season, but you're looking at what did they do when the ball found them because you can't really necessarily count on high school offenses to always be able to find, locate the top guy on the field against the defense, knowing what they may have on the rest of their roster. So knowing that, looking at the highlights here, Lyric Samuel to me is somebody who, who's uh, pretty unique when you look at the wide receiver board because he's probably going to finish his high school career over six foot four. We saw him in the camp circuit. My question, and we see it a lot of times, is you see taller receivers play stiff you know you see a lot of guys maybe don't have that fluidity uh from the hips down below to work against power five cornerbacks to even beat safeties down the football field now i don't know that he has the straight line or will have the straight line speed to go man on man against the cornerback in the big 10 to be able to, to just beat him down the football field but he did glide a bit and, and i thought that was impressive he looked pretty uh seamless in going in and out of his breaks considering again six foot three plus as a high school junior that can be a bit of a coordination problem sometimes at the receiver spot we see it on the camp circuit every single year so when we saw lyric samuel check that uh, the fluidity part off off the list on the camp circuit at that size he to me kind of translated as a take for penn state if it went well from a relationship standpoint and based on the comments he gave brian doan saying that his mom's heart was won over by penn state and they did a lot of stuff for his family during visits that that kind of won them over along the way. This was one that Penn State was ready to wrap up. And, and clearly Samuel was, too. Yeah, he goes around four or five in the 40. So the speed is there, especially for a receiver of his size, four or five in the 40 at this point in his development. I think that's a pretty good starting point when it comes to his speed and just athletic upside. And, you know, you think about Lyric Samuel, when you look at the yardage total, you think, oh, he's a big bodied wide out. You know, they're just getting him the ball downfield. He's going over the top of D-backs. It's not just that. He's got pretty impressive yard after the catch ability to him, too. That speed plays into it. There, there is more to his game than being, you know, one of those guys who just has that straight line speed, runs a goal route, and takes the top off of defense. There's more to Lyric Samuel than just that. I think that is something that appealed to Penn State throughout its pursuit of him. And, yeah, the staff just – the relationships came to where they needed to be over an extended period of time. That junior day visit – for Samuel was pivotal, you know, having the family around. Yeah, just the comfort level increased to the point where Samuel felt that state college was home for him. And, you know, he's going to be coming to a place where he's going to have the chance to play high-level college football. That's what he's been looking for from the start. And, you know, he's we mentioned the New York ties. He's close with Josiah Brown. So the second that he sets foot on campus and gets enrolled at Penn State, 
he's going to have someone he, he can turn to as he continues to develop and works his way into a role on that Penn State wide receiver depth chart. You know, I think that might take a little bit of time, mainly because if you look at Lyric Samuel, it's pretty easy to see that the physical development still needs to occur. You know, there's still strength that needs to be added. So it might take him, you know, a redshirt year or maybe another year after that for him to really emerge and surface as a big factor in that wide receiver conversation. But I definitely think he has the skill set to reach that point at some point in his career with Penn State. I'm glad you mentioned Brown being a New York guy, too. I kind of skimmed right over that, went to Ty Blanding, who's out of the Browns. Brian Tracy, too, even though he prepped in Connecticut. He's another New York guy. Right. Um, and then uh, Blanding, now a redshirt freshman at the defensive tackle position. I remember him telling me how he was really anticipating a big adjustment in, in sleeping in the Bronx in New York City versus yeah. going to sleep in Happy Valley. But he was kind of picturing farmland. I'm sorry, a freshman dorm is a freshman dorm. An underclassman dorm is an underclassman dorm. It is not a quiet place. But I understood the point that he was coming yeah. from. And, and it's interesting because we've heard guys in the past say they kind of view Happy Valley as a place where they can spend an incubated period of time, three, four, five years, whatever you have it, away from a lot of the noise. Not saying everything's a distraction back home, but there are some distractions back home. And able to just concentrate on football in an area where Let's be honest, if you want to find an urban place to hang out, you've got to drive two, two and a half hours from campus to find it. So we've heard guys say that in the past. I think it's worked out well for a lot of these New York City transplants in State College. And now you add Lyric Samuel to that list. And when we talk about the, the individual commitment here, let's discuss the impact now about this on the 2025 recruiting class. As we discussed, one wide receiver on board now, but we've mentioned a bunch of late. I think we talked about six scholarship targets from the 2025 cycle being together for one of those single junior days as January was going into February, not too long ago. So where do we stand, Tyler? I think we can maybe go in state with, with a target to discuss and Lex Cyrus and we'll work our way off that. Yeah, you know, when it comes to Cyrus, speed is the name of the game. And, you know, we, we've, we've done a deep dive into his skill set pretty much since he camped for the staff during the summer. And he's tested so well. And just his junior season was a good one. He's a track guy. So, you know, his, uh, his winter wasn't filled with visits like some of the other wide receivers on Penn State's board. The spring will probably look a little bit different for him. I think he's going to be able to get out and see some more schools. But he's been to Penn State the most. So that works in the Nittany Lions' favor. I think Penn State has a pretty good chance to keep Lex Cyrus in state and in at home at this point. Now, you know, as he gets out and he checks out other schools, which is something that he has said that he wants to do time and time again. So it's not like, you know, he's going to come to a short decision. He's going to check out some of his other offers, and he's got plenty of intriguing ones. You know, where do things go from there? Where does he decide he wants to take official visits? Because his recruitment has been a little bit slow developing. You know, it's on the visit front and things like that. So there's still some things that he needs to sort through. But, you know, again, we talk about familiarity and comfort level with the staff. I think Penn State has that with Cyrus. And I think Cyrus feels good around Hagens. I know that he enjoys working with Hagens from his camp experiences. He took to his coaching very well. We got the chance to see that with our own eyes. And, you know, he probably plays inside at the next level. He's one of those kind of speedy slot guys. Penn State would really like that. We talk about the room, you know, the desire to make the room more electric and having more playmaking ability. Lex Cyrus is one of those players who, in my opinion, could come in and have an instant impact in that regard. 
Yeah, it would be a very complimentary type piece to Lyric Samuel as he's about 5'10", sub 170 right now, but, but a lot of twitch, a lot of that straight line speed uh, with Cyrus, who's the number 199 overall prospect in our top 24-7 out of Susquehanna Township in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. Number five player in the state of Pennsylvania for the 2025 cycle. Uh, we'll go outside of the state, but to a very much familiar program, McDonough School down in Maryland. You know the story, folks. It's produced a bunch of Penn State's daughters. It's been the defensive side of the football that has really reaped the benefits thus far. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, Devon Ellis, uh, Curtis Jacobs, P.J. Mustafer, but Jeff Exener Jr. considered a top 24-7 prospect in his own right. Uh, he's, carried, he's carried the athlete label for a while in the industry, uh, viewed as a wide receiver, brings some size at six foot two, 220 pounds. You can also understand with that frame, why there are considered other pathways toward power five careers for Jeff Exner beyond the receiver position. But let's talk about this one, Tyler, because it's been a pipeline for Penn State. There's there's no way around that with what McDonough School has been. Where does Penn State stand in, in Jeff Exner's recruitment right now? And where does he stand, as you gather it, on their wide receiver board? Because let's not ignore the fact that they've offered about 90 guys yeah. in this receiver class nationally. Definitely up there on the board. Definitely one of the priorities for Higgins and company at this point in the cycle. And, you know, the interest is definitely mutual. Exner has Penn State among his top three coming out of his January – not January. He was there in February for his junior day visit. He attended that last fe junior day of the offseason, right before the beginning of the dead period. And it's looking like he's going to get back to campus for an official visit. I believe June 14th is the target for that. And that will be an important visit. You know, we mentioned his status on the board and the relationships, and we keep circling back to the relationship. That's what's going to help Penn State – get these, some of these guys across the finish line when it's all said and done. The relationship with Hagens is in a good place. But Exner, the thing with Exner is because he started out as a recruit at a different position, you know, I remember when he was an underclassman, he really burst onto the scene as a potential edge rusher, a high-level edge rusher at that, the next level. He's kind of morphed into a wide receiver. Just his athleticism is off the charts, and that has played such a big part in that coming together. He's kind of like Samuel, you know, he's more like Samuel physically than he is like Cyrus. You know, he's a bigger guy, but he's also more along in his physical development than Samuel. So that gives Penn State maybe a guy who's ready a little bit sooner on the outside. Syracuse is really involved with Exner as well. But I like where Penn State is at with Exner right now. You mentioned, you know, the McDonough ties. That always tends to work in Penn State's favor. But with that official visit coming together for June 14th, it's looking like that's going to be, I think, a big opportunity for the Penn State staff to go out and close on one of its top wide receiver targets. And it will go to a third top 24-7 prospect that you wanted to mention here as we were kind of reviewing some wide receivers to keep tabs on following the Lyric Samuel commitment. We'll go all the way across the country. Not not so much familiar about this. We, we know Terry Smith uh, gets out to Southern California. He's cultivated a presence out there we've seen offers we've seen official visits haven't seen the commitments come through quite yet from southern california but one of the best in that region is philip bell a six foot two 200 pound wide receiver out of mission viejo california in orange county out there mission viejo has a long list of power five players it's produced and nfl talent it has produced he's number 232 in our national rankings number 27 at the receiver spot again another guy who brings desired size to a position where you can never really have enough of that and someone who has expressed genuine interest in happy valley all the way from sunny southern california yeah this one's going to be a little bit tougher you know this is going to be a pretty <laughs> tough pull 
for Penn State. We, we, we just spent a little bit of time talking about guys uh, that Penn State's in a good spot for. It's not that Penn State's not in a good spot with Philip Bell. It's just kind of one of those scenarios where you wonder if he's actually going to leave the West Coast. USC is in pretty strong with Bell. But, you know, the silver lining and reason for Penn State fans to maybe have some hope here is he's looking at taking officials outside of the region. Penn State was one of them. Ohio State is going to get an official visit. Buckeyes are in pretty strong with Bell, too. And we all know what Ohio State has been able to accomplish when it comes to recruiting wide receivers recently. Colorado, I know that's a little bit more in region, but they're in line for an official visit. Tennessee, so that's SEC country. Bama could receive an official visit. So, you know, it's not a lock that he's necessarily going to stay home. But USC is the crystal ball favorite to land Bell. I, I, I just got feeling I think that's one the Trojans are going to be able to get done. It seems like, you know, asking around, they put in a lot of good work with him on the recruiting trail. But, you know, Terry Smith does a great job out West. He does a great job of spearheading Penn State's recruiting efforts in California. He's a big reason. We saw, you know, during the 2024 cycle with Siona Lalea, he's a big reason why Penn State is able to be involved with a lot of these California guys because he does such a good job of going out there and building up the relationships to where they need to be to garner a legitimate interest. But again, this one's definitely going to be a little bit of the tougher variety. Yeah, Terry Smith, uh, he logs miles, let's put it that way, on the yes. recruiting trail. <laughs> and as I know it, as I've gathered, uh, when, when they get time away from campus, they get some personal time for vacations, he also logs miles. Like, he is a traveler. Um, and, and we'll see if he can if he can continue to, to cultivate something there in that region, the, the Los Angeles County, Orange County region. The more official visits that you can get from that area, you know, start, start to have a higher percentage, a higher opportunity to, to impress guys on campus. Because as we've gone through it, a lot of familiarity with some of the other targets. When you talk about Lyric Samuel, he's someone who was not only up for the camps last summer, but he was around for Lash Bash. He was there for the season opener game against West Virginia. He was there for the 2023 Blue-White Spring game. So that familiarity pays off here in the form of a commitment. A little bit tougher when you're trying to snag someone from 3,000 miles away, whatever that trip is. Um, let's look over at, at the offensive line quickly here with you before we get over to Daniel Gallon to break down the latest news from Penn State basketball and some feedback from Penn State football veterans. Um, Josh Williams, who we've discussed a bunch here on the podcast since he, he earned a Penn State offer during a camp appearance last summer. We discussed how his father was an alum, grew up in a house with a lot of Penn State fans. His recruitment continued to evolve. Other Big Ten powers got involved. Other Power Five powers got involved. But there was one offer that initially really stood out, and ultimately it prevailed out. Uh, it's Stanford. He is heading across the country to Palo Alto uh, as a member of that Stanford football program in 2025. Considered one of the top interior offensive linemen in the region out of the Haverford School in Pennsylvania. And so, Tyler, because we have mentioned him pretty frequently when we get into the offensive line discussion, especially on the interior, let's address it now. He's off the board. His pick of Stanford on Monday was not a surprise when that came through. That's the way his recruitment was developing. And let's remember, he's a guy who told us that before last year's spree of offers last summer with the camps, he thought his ceiling in, in football was Ivy League. So he was always pursuing the educational aspect. And I think he was able to find a, a pretty good fit with what Stanford can offer up. Um, and, and, and so what do we make of this from Penn State's perspective? They've got a, a lot of interior linemen in play here. They've got Michael Carroll in the state of Pennsylvania, as we've addressed as well. What does this move mean for the Dittany Lions, and what do you make of it? You know, as much as Williams liked Penn State, and, you know, that was evident the second that an offer came in, the way this one played out doesn't really surprise me in the slightest. You always had the feeling that this recruitment was a little bit bigger than football. You know, Williams is looking to set himself up, obviously, for a good opportunity 
to succeed at the next level and, you know, ultimately turn pro and, you know, have a nice career in the NFL. That's a goal of his. But, you know, if that doesn't come to fruition, he's going to be set with a pretty good degree now. And I, I also think, you know, the move of Stanford to the ACC maybe helps here because, you know, it allows him to – he's going to go out west. He's going to go to Palo Alto, and he's going to be on the west coast. But, you know, he's going to be coming back home for some ACC matchups. So, he, you know, his family's still going to have the chance to see him to play on a somewhat regular basis. So I think that kind of factors into it too as well. I, I just – I can't say I'm surprised with the way this one went. You know, Penn, that Penn State offer when it rolled in, it definitely changed things for him, and it opened his eyes to – I would say probably opened his eyes to recruiting and, you know, the opportunities that were out there for him. But this was just such an elite academic chance for Williams, and it was one that he ultimately couldn't pass up on. And where Penn State goes from here, you know, they're going to be fine on the interior. A lot of their top targets are still on the board. I mean, one's already on board, and Mike Troutman, you know, who projects as a center at the next level. Mike Carroll still remains available for the taking as the top interior target at this point in the cycle. You mentioned a guy like Zaire Addison, the four-star from Florida, who has told us that he has Penn State in his top five. He can play one through five on the offensive line. And, you know, you got to keep in mind, you know, maybe some of the tackles that Penn State is after as well, those guys could potentially kick inside at the next level, depending on how their developments play out. So moving forward, you know, Penn State's going to be fine. But good for Williams. You know, it's a great opportunity. He's definitely helped his stock, and he's going to be at a school that, you know, fits his personality, fits really what he is looking for in multiple ways. He's a class president, 4.0 student, not saying those kind of guys can't end up at Penn State, but just talking to him early yeah. on and what those Ivy League opportunities meant to him at the football level. Again, not, not necessarily surprised to see him end up in Stanford's class. We wish him well. Uh, but one other name I wanted to bring up, and, and you did a nice job kind of resetting things there, but Isaac Sowells uh, out of Louisville, Kentucky, put Penn State uh, among his list of favorites on Monday, Penn State didn't offer him immediately coming off of the camp uh, last year, but I remember watching him uh, a little undersized. But if we're talking about him playing center, and they, again, they have a center on board here, six foot two, so 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 that's you know not necessarily ideal for for guard and certainly not a tackle spot. But watching him on the interior, working with Phil Troutwine and Frank Leonard, I certainly thought there was a lot to work with there. He has Power Five offers coming to that camp. Now he's over 20 Power 5 offers, I think, or over 20 FBS offers at least. Penn State is indeed among them. They have entered the mix. Is this a process that we're going to look for the next step? Now that Penn State's been confirmed in this top group, do you expect Penn State and Sowells to take another step forward in their relationship? You know, he hasn't visited in a while. He didn't make it back to campus during the winter when that offer rolled in. I'm not sure if he's going to during the spring. You know, he doesn't have anything locked in with Penn State right now. And, you know, you mentioned the size. I, I think Troutman being on board maybe kind of limits the potential for Souls with Penn State moving forward. we have to see where things go. But, uh, you know, there's definitely still spots for grabs on the interior. So we'll see if Souls makes it back to campus during the spring. Again, just Troutman being on board already. You know, he was pretty clearly higher in the pecking order, and Penn State was able to get that one done. So we'll see where this one goes. Good stuff. And, and just some other teams in the mix there in in, in town, Louisville, uh, Kentucky, Virginia, Miami, South Carolina, West Virginia, NC State, Indiana and Vanderbilt on that list uh, for Soels. Um, so let's finish here. Twelve commitments now on board. A dozen guys. Great foundation, it would seem, for Penn State's number five class right now in our rankings for the 2025 cycle at 24 sportscom So I'm just going to ask you a simple question here. What's next? 
we're still in the dead period that that's not going to end until March. Then we'll see spring practice visits and ultimately the blue white game visit, which is a huge one. But what's next? What's right in front of our eyes that we need to be aware of? I think we've kind of reached the point of the offseason where the focus has turned towards guys locking in their spring visit schedules and, you know, their official visit schedules, too. I mentioned Exner in that June 14th official visit. We've got another official visit, you know, that is locked in the will of coming online 24-7 later in the day. And, you know, guys are just trying to iron things out. They're trying to get their plans in order. And I think you're going to start to see more and more recruitments come in order and guys start to really narrow down depending on how those spring visits play out. You know, I mean, could Penn State wind up with another guy before spring practice? With the way February has been going, you know, four commitments on board, you, you never say never. But I, I think the focus is more geared toward, you know, kicking off these spring practice visits and continuing to build relationships and just keep things going in the right direction with certain guys who will be making it to town. Yeah, going from 8 to 12 in, in pretty short order is Penn State's 2025 class, as we said, creeping up into that top five right now in national rankings. Tyler Calvaruso has you covered on all things Penn State recruiting all the time at lines247.com. You can hear him, of course, here on the podcast when news breaks. Tyler, appreciate it. Hopefully folks are following your coverage on the site. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get over to Daniel Gallon now. And we've been trying to find a way to get basketball involved in the conversation here in the last week or two on the podcast as setting the stage uh, for their final stretch in Big Ten play and ultimately the Big Ten tournament down the road. Uh, and we certainly have a reason to do that here on a Tuesday with Daniel as Penn State is less than 24 hours removed from confirming they've dismissed their leading scorer on the season, Kanye Clary, from the program. Mike Rhodes, first-year head coach, uh, announcing that at a press conference on Monday. And, Daniel, you were front and center. You were uh, you know, uh, right on, on top of that story. And, and, and I know that it's one that has gotten a ton of reaction from fans. But what's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a big surprise. Uh, I think that things get to this point uh, where you get to the five games left in the regular season uh, and you have to dismiss uh, a leading score. I mean, I, I think that... It's not something that you really see, uh, you know, over the course of a basketball season. Um, you know, I think that uh, the the way that things go, usually wait until the off season to see the attrition. Um, so to to see that now, um, I think that it kind of raises your eyebrows a little bit. But you know, it, it does kind of seem like that there are some stuff bubbling under behind the scenes for the past couple of weeks, and when. Penn State went to Nebraska on Saturday. They had Kanye Clary listed as out for that game. He did not make the trip. Um, I think that that really raised some eyebrows and kind of uh, 
you know, let you know that there's some some stuff going on. Um, and we got some clarity uh, on that on Monday. Yeah, and the clarity is that he is not part of the equation moving forward. And and it's it's pretty startling here because he was uh, – we had – I think last time we were on this podcast when it was you and Mark breaking down some basketball at midseason, the story was, well, Kanye Clary has kind of found a way to flourish and fill the stat sheet while Ace Baldwin was kind of meandering through portions of the season. And would it work with both of them? And, and you both seem to, to have optimism that it could – Clearly it couldn't. And in my opinion, as someone who's certainly more of a basketball outsider in these kind of conversations, I trust your reporting. I trust some of our insiders on the board. It seems like the Baldwin-Clary dynamic that was really an exciting part when this roster came together last offseason in a hurry when Rhodes got to town, bringing Baldwin, of course, from VCU and keeping Kanye Clary on campus after Michael Shrewsbury left. That dynamic seemed to really be close or you know near or at the forefront of whatever went down and whatever went wrong. Yeah, I think from an on-court perspective, it was just kind of a, it was a tough fit. Um, you know, I think that if you're Mike Rhodes, you try to make it work. Um, you know, there is an element where in the, maybe in the perfect world, Kanye Clary was your sixth man and he comes in and lights it up off the bench for, you know, you know 20 to 25 minutes per game. But the way that this roster came together, um, and I think Clary deserves a lot of credit uh, for improving his game. Obviously, his playing time went up, so all of his per-game statistics are up, but his field goal percentage is up significantly. His three-point percentage was up significantly. His free-throw percentage was up uh, 10%, I think. You know, he really did put in the work to kind of force his way um, into the equation there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of always like a little bit of a clunky uh, on-court fit. Um, I think that you saw Mike Rhodes try to do different things in terms of staggering their minutes a little bit after starting them together. Um, so that one was always on the court. Um, but, you know, I think that you kind of saw the, you know, the games that the two games that Clary missed and then a third where uh, he was you know not as big of a part of the game plan. Penn State reeled off a, a three game winning streak. Um, and so I, I think that that made it almost even more difficult to try to fit these pieces together. Clary averaging about 17 points per game uh, in 30 minutes on the season, 81% free throw shooter, uh, 46% field goal percentage, and just about 38% from the three-point line. Uh, when you look at the last three matchups that he was actually involved in, Daniel mentioned there he was sidelined for a bit, but three in February against Iowa, Northwestern, and Michigan State, eight points against Iowa. Uh, he had zero points against Northwestern in 14 minutes and eight points against Michigan State in a loss last week on Valentine's Day. So can you kind of go through the dynamics here? Because there is a part of it where Clary is front and center. He's a guy who is not necessarily distributing the ball as much as you might like from someone handling the ball as much under three assists per game. But what did it look like when Kanye Clary was the vocal point? What happened when he was sidelined and what happened when he got back that you think uh, really kind of made this an, an untenable situation ultimately on the court. I think that when we saw Kanye Clary and he was on, I mean, he was kind of a, a microwave score. Um, he could get into the lane. Um, you know, I have seen few basketball players be able to use the glass like he was. It just seemed like he'd get in the lane. He's only 5'10", 5'11". Um, he'd be in, in there with the tall trees and kind of loft the ball up get it to kiss high off the glass and come down. I mean, he was, he had some really, really amazing circus shots um, over the course of his time, but he wasn't really much of a distributor. Um, I think that the ball would stick a little bit when he was out there, when he got it. 
Um, he also had a little bit of trouble, I think, finishing at the hoop. And that was kind of a, I think that's the product of being a young player. I mean, he's a sophomore. Ace Baldwin is a, is a senior. You know, they're both smaller guards. And you would kind of look how both of them were able to finish at the basket. It seemed like Clary um, would get blocked a little bit more often than Baldwin does. Um, but then when, when Clary was out of the lineup, I mean, you saw some really good ball movement. Um, from Penn State uh, during that three-game winning streak. I mean, you look at it, and I think that the Rutgers game was kind of a you know, really high-level defensive performance. The Indiana win, they really just shot out of their mind um, against the Hoosiers uh, at Assembly Hall. And then you come back against Iowa, and it was kind of that was a little bit more of a complete performance, I think, where they were just able to you know run away, get a couple stops, make some. You know, Ace Baldwin took over that game late. Um, you know, that was something too from, from Clary where you know, he would, you know, you could get, you know, a six Oh run out of him and eight Oh run, but it felt like it was kind of always in the, the middle of the game. You know, he didn't, he wasn't quite that closer, uh, that we've seen Ace Baldwin be at times this year. Um, and I think that, you know, you saw the, the Northwestern game and, and Michigan state, the offense just wasn't as crisp, uh, things just kind of weren't operating at, at the same level. Um, I think that there are some difficulties trying to reintegrate him from the on-court perspective. And then you, you look at the Nebraska game. You know, I was thinking about it yesterday and, you know, Penn state had a really, really poor shooting performance, but you watch that game, you know, even when they're down by, by 23 in the second half, the ball just felt like it was moving so much more on offense. Um, you know, I think that you have someone in Kudus Wahab, uh, the the forward who's, who started every game this year. You know, he's another one of those players where the ball kind of sticks with him a little bit, where when you throw it into him, throw it into him in the post, you might not get it back. Um, and but I think not. But when you had him and Clary on the court together, you know, you had kind of two <laughs> two places where it would stick. Um, but, you know, without Clary on the court against Nebraska, you, you saw some movement. You saw them getting into some open shots you know they just weren't hitting them um which i think you know, i've written it a couple times this year where the really defining factor of this team uh this season i think has been the inconsistency on a game-to-game basis but i i think that with where penn state is right now um it's going to be really interesting to see how the shape um, of this offense changes because you, know, you saw the two games without them uh you kind of got the the spectrum of offense versus defense um, you know, and then against Nebraska, it was just kind of a, just one of those, I guess, chalk it up to a, just a bad outing. So you know, we'll, we'll see where they fall um, moving forward. With this situation, I, it seems to me, based on the feedback that we, we've had, is that a lot of this is what's a lot of what festered in the situation is went beyond what happened on Big Ten basketball matchup game days and what happened, you know, from the from the tip off to the final horn during a game. And 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 obviously the results weren't necessarily where Clary would want them or Penn State would want them on the court when he got back. But the dynamics behind the scenes, I, I, what was Mike Rhodes kind of demeanor? Because I'd imagine he's wearing this one pretty hard. Uh, this is not something, that, as you said, you really ever see basically shutting down a, a guy who has done a lot for you at this stage of the season with five games still on the on the regular season radar. And, and I'm reminded that when Clary was coming to campus during the Shrewsbury era, of course, uh, we, we spoke with some of our, our 24-7 sports uh, scouting analysts who cover basketball day in and day out. And the word we got was that Clary was going to be kind of a, a glue guy for team culture. And when you saw him stick around and Shrewsbury bolts and not enter the portal and, and all that stuff, you think, okay, well, that matches up. 
Now what we're hearing does not match up. And and you try to figure out where to lay blame. As you assess the situation, as you're hearing things, how much does uh, land on the shoulders of Mike Rhodes for this to kind of grenade to go off in late February? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're kind of dealing with a, a different era of college basketball uh, in terms of player agency, NIL, all of these kind of ex extenuating circumstances. I mean, I think that there are some things that are the same now as they were 20 years ago in terms of guys wanting to play more, guys wanting their roles to be different. Um, you know, I think now the the difference is that there's a little bit more leverage, uh, I think, from from the player side of things. But, you know, in, in terms of what Mike Rhodes was saying on Monday, I, I think he really did come back to the culture piece, a lot of it. And that's kind of what he's fallen back on uh, a lot over the course of the season where, you know, obviously you can flip a team pretty quickly through the transfer portal now and get yourself competitive. Um, I mean, I think that this Penn State team, you know, they're six and nine and in 12th place in the Big Ten. But the Big Ten is such a mess this year that they're three games out of a, a tie for third place. And, you know, given how close some of these games have been this year, um, they could easily be, you know, in that mix for for a double buy, which is kind of insane to think about. But uh, I, I think that Mike Rhodes has kind of maintained that this isn't just about 2023, 2024. He really has a, a long term view of, of things. Um, he was asked a, a good question yesterday. Um, I, I forget who exactly asked it, um, but it was in terms of making a decision like this. How do you balance what might be best for the program in the short term versus what's best for it in the long term. You know, I think that in the short term, you want to have Kanye Clary on your team because he's a good player. He can score. Um, he could get to the basket on a team that had some trouble getting to the basket uh, at, at times this year. But in terms of what Mike Rhodes wants to build, the culture, the the tone that he wants to set, I think taking that long view and Mike Rhodes has, has talked to he's he's brought up his contract length before and you know the the security that he feels he has at Penn State that you know I think that this is kind of a, a bit of a, a tone setting move um in terms of what he expects out of players. Um, you know, we'll see how many guys are back next year. Um you you've got three that are have expiring eligibility. Um Clary is the the fourth to leave, and then you just kind of always build in attrition <laughs> no, no matter what that's just the the way that things are now no matter the sport um but i think that this is kind of Rhodes trying to you know put his fingerprints on this program kind of set the tone and and what he wants to see out of it and he said that tough decisions are just kind of part of it um at the same time he kind of made clear that this isn't necessarily his his first rodeo um you know that he was at he coached at randolph macon for a long time and at d3 um, he went to Rice and kind of had to try to flip over a program, do a rebuild job there, set a tone. He said that even when he went back to VCU, you know, that was a program that was was used to winning and, and had kind of a winning culture. But when you come in, you still have to set a tone and, and still kind of do that work um, to construct things for the long term. So I, I think that that's kind of where Rhodes lands on things is you know really trying to take that long view with setting a culture building a foundation and, you know, making some, some tough decisions to kind of, you know, have that vision. Big picture conversation aside, Penn State's riding a three game losing streak and they got the number 12 team in the nation, Illinois coming to the BJC for a Wednesday evening matchup. When we talk lineup, now that Clary is officially crossed off that list for consideration, what is the immediate impact and how do you think Penn State maybe 
maybe goes about its way in the next five uh, five games that that could look a little bit different than what has been presented thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough to see when Ace Baldwin ever leaves the court. Uh, I think he's looking at, you know, close to, to 40 minutes the rest of the way. Uh, I think he's played 37 minutes in each of the past six games. Uh, he was asked about it. I think he had a three game stretch where he played 40. And he said he's kind of in that, you know, I don't care mode. He said he feels good. He trusts his body. Uh, Mike Roach trusts him. Um, and so I, I think that we're going to see a lot of him on the court. But you know, DeMarco Dunn, uh, the junior transfer from North Carolina, he started the past six games, uh, beginning when, when Clary left with the injury and continuing when Clary came back. Um, the three-game winning streak, he was averaging 12 points a game, um, hasn't been back in double figures during the three-game losing streak. Um, and I think that he's someone who is going to have the ball in his hands more. Um, he's probably going to be charged with running the offense a little bit. He's someone that I'm, I'm still pretty high on. I, I think that you look at the the way that he moves, his body type, his athleticism. Um, he's not afraid to try to dunk on someone. Um, and he's you know put together a, a decent three-point stroke. I think he's shooting around 38% um, on the season, or at least he's been shooting 38% uh, recently. So he's someone that I think is going to have a, a major role. Um, and I think in the backcourt, Jameel Brown uh, is someone who needs to step up and find some consistency. He started the year really hot from three, missed some time with some injuries, uh, and has just been kind of streaky since he's come back. I know that that's kind of part of the game uh, with being a, a three-point shooter, and sometimes you got to shoot your way out of a slump. Um, but if he, he can find some consistency uh, and help stretch the floor a little bit, I think that'll make things better for Baldwin and Dunn because um, they can be you know, slashers that can get to the hoop. Um, you know, Baldwin, just to go back to him really quick, he's really raised his game. Uh, I think over the past six games, he's averaging more than 16 points per game. Um, he's shooting better from three point range than two point range. Uh, and, you know, he was around 50 percent. Uh, at one point during this stretch uh, for a pretty significant sample size. And he's someone who wasn't really known uh, for being a three-point shooter when he came. So he has really, really raised his game recently. And I think that things have clicked in for him a little bit. It was a little rocky at the beginning. Um, and then just overall, in, in terms of you know other players who can step up, I mean, Zach Hicks is another guy who who's raised his game, uh, the stretch four. He's kind of I think locked in uh, both defensively and offensively. He's hitting from the outside. Um, and then Nick Kern uh, has really raised his game this year. He's another VCU transfer. So, you know, I, I think that you know, what we've seen this season, it's it's tough to see you know guys that haven't really contributed that much at this point in the season suddenly take on bigger roles. Um, but I think that what you've seen so far, it's going to be, you know, a pretty similar cast of characters and it's up, it's up, you know, on them to, to raise their game a little bit. Um, but I, I am curious to see how Mike Rhodes is going to kind of make up for Clary's minutes a little bit, uh, how they're going to stagger things, what kind of different personnel groupings they're going to do. Um, it's it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Kanye Clary will move forward with junior eligibility and, and presumably the transfer portal uh, when he can. And then when we look at these teams, uh, the rest of the way for Penn State as they move forward, Illinois and Indiana, at home in the next few days uh, through Saturday and then road trips next week uh, to Iowa and Minnesota before finishing up the regular season in the BJC against Maryland on March 10th. We know they caught fire in late February, early March last year, made for a nice story, different set of circumstances this time around, but year one of a new regime uh, knew it wasn't necessarily going to be pretty all the way through, but we didn't necessarily expect this kind of a situation to pop up. 
Daniel, let's shift gears and go back over to football because we had a chance to get over to the practice facilities on Saturday. No, there is not practice happening just yet for the football program. We're about three weeks out of for that, uh, and, we'll, and we'll be out there for spring practices all the way through the blue-white game on April 13th. But this time around, it was Penn State playing its role in Thon Weekend on campus, a, a phenomenal event every year. I think the total was just shy of $17 million raised this year, a record for this event, which seems to set a record every single winter. So congratulations. But Daniel, uh, our job as reporters, after we discussed the Thon stuff, and we're going to do some general takeaways from what we witnessed there as, as these players interacted with children and their families. But we also got to speak for the first time since the Peach Bowl with a lot of veteran members of this Nittany Lions team, including Nick Singleton, Drew Aller. And we'll start with Aller because he's somebody that is a fascinating figure coming off a season in which he only threw two interceptions at almost 30 total touchdowns. Everyone still who have followed this program closely and everyone who's wondering if Penn State can break through as a college football playoff threat is wondering if he can take the next step under a new offensive coordinator and Andy Kotelnicki. He told us that the first uh, last few weeks since Kotelnicki really settled into campus after being on the recruiting trail for a while have been beneficial. As Franklin told us last week, Daniel, a lot of terminology conversation right now and, and trying to figure out what's going to stick from last year, what's going to be thrown by the wayside and, and what's kind of going to be merged or meshed between the couple of things. But ultimately, Kotelnicki is bringing what he says is an offense that is that is playing offense. They want to dictate the game. They don't want to be reactionary. And he sounded really enthusiastic about the early work. He says the Penn State coaching staff has been putting in a ton of work trying to devise what they want to put out there and present during spring ball because they don't want to have to reteach it come August. And when they get through spring ball, they're going to need to be a few strides ahead of where they are right now to feel good about their footing come summer. Yeah, I, I think in, in reading through the, the Q&A that you put together with Drew Aller, uh, the, the parts about Andy Kotelnicki that I thought were pretty interesting was the idea of uh, eliminating variables and just kind of eliminating the need to think uh, for for Penn State, you know, for Aller, for the offense. Um, I think that at times last year, it seemed like things were a little bogged down um, at, at various points, uh, you know, whether that was coaching, whether the system or what, but, you know, it, it did seem like that there are times where Penn state wasn't really just reading and reacting and, and just going. So I, I think that that, you know, kind of the, I think sometimes that gets termed as, as simplifying things, you know, I, based on what we know about Andy Kotelnicki's offense, I, I don't think I'd call it simple uh, based on what we saw uh, on film from Kansas. But yeah, I think that that's kind of a, an interesting starting point especially when going back to the terminology and, and doing the install right now, trying to make things as easy and as simple as possible for the Penn State players. So I think that was something that that really stood out to me um, with, with where they are right now with Andy Kotelnicki. You mentioned eliminating variables and the way that Drew Aller phrased that to us was, quote, he doesn't want us to think, he wants us to go out, play, and react. I think he's done a great job with that already. And, and Daniel, I think from the press box and, and maybe from your television sets, it, it felt like at times that there was a lot going through Drew Aller's mind in some of the key moments during the 2023 season. And as a first year starter, of course, you anticipate those things. And we'll see what it looks like now with the new sounding board at offensive coordinator, Daniel O'Brien, a mainstay in that quarterback room. One thing he did seem excited about, and I'm sure Mike Yursich engaged with his quarterbacks this time of the year, too. But he says, Kotal Nicky 
really picking the brains of these quarterbacks and, and, and also the quarterbacks picking the brains of receivers. They've had these throwing sessions where, you know, it's player led stuff this time of year. They can go into Huluba Hall. It's open and, and, and they'll go and they'll work on stuff for an hour. And he said, Drew Aller said something that's been different about those get togethers is after the workout, they're not just all going their separate ways, going to their cars, going to grab dinner, what have you. They're sitting down on the turf in Huluba Hall and talking through things for a half hour to an hour extra after they already did the uh, the physical work. And he says that's something that's just a little bit different. He thinks the, the relationships are going to have some deeper roots, it seems, between the quarterbacks and the receivers. There's been open, honest conversations about what routes are working, what is what they want to really try to maybe level up in, in their offensive attack. And now they're trying to wrap their minds around Andy Kotelnicki. And there's still some th stuff they're figuring out. And there's still some things from a positional standpoint that they're trying to work through. But it sounds like there's been a little bit more dialogue and, and with Drew Aller leading that way, we know how comfortable Sean Clifford was as a leader, a four-time team captain. And I think that's maybe an aspect of the 2023 team that, that some of us took for granted uh, or maybe just didn't focus in on enough. The fact that you had a really young quarterback out there going through a lot of first time instances. And when the players turn to you to look at you, that can be a lot. And so this year, how Drew Aller responds to those moments and he's laying that groundwork now, I think that's ultimately going to determine whether Penn State's ready to land some haymakers in the biggest games of its season. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to relitigate the wide receiver situation from, from last year and, and into this offseason. Wait until our but, spring camp preview. We'll get to it. Yeah, but I, I think that, that that's what you want to hear and that's what you want to know. Um, I, I think that you need to see you know something where – you know, these guys look like they're on the same page because I, I think that the the big thing with the offense last year wasn't necessarily that it wasn't producing the way that things the way that people thought that it might I think that it was the way that it looked while also not producing the way that people expected especially with the wide receiver group you know not getting not completing a pass to that position until the fourth quarter of the Peach Bowl um, it's a and it's a big it's a big it's a big spring for those wide receivers too um, you know, there's a bunch of them on the roster. You got 13, 13 scholarship guys. And you got two roster. more, two more coming this summer. Um, and so, and kind of like what we talked about earlier with attrition just being built in right now, um, it's hard to see all 15 of those guys on the roster next year. So, you know, guys kind of have to make their move. They got to stake their claim to spots. They have to put their, their best foot forward to, to show what they can do this spring. And, you know, I think so. It's kind of a it's a two way street where you want to see Aller put in the work with these wide receivers. You want to see him be that leader, but you also need to see these wide receivers kind of be willing to do that. You know, to want it to want to put that time in um, and and work on their own development. So uh, it's easy to talk about. <laughs> I think that they're in that wide receivers are in that prove it category right now. Um, but in terms of what you want to hear in February, what you want to know, I, I think that that's a good sign. Outside of top returning receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith, no one on this team has at least 600 career receiving yards except for Julian Fleming, who spent his first four college campaigns, of course, in Columbus with Ohio State. Naturally, we get Drew Aller again. We did hear from him a few weeks ago at a charity bowling event. Early feedback on Julian Fleming, but they're now through four winter workouts by this conversation. They've been around on campus for six weeks or so together. So you're starting to have more of a sample size between these two. And he couldn't say enough good things 
about what Julian Fleming has brought to campus. And it's exactly the kind of scouting report that we were serving up here on the podcast and that we were hearing about based on some feedback from initial conversations back in December and into January with Julian Fleming hitting the portal and ultimately working his way towards a Penn State commitment. There is a level of accountability that Julian Fleming brings through him when he walks through that door, a level of professionalism. After 20 starts the last couple of seasons in an Ohio State uniform, uh, Drew Aller described him as this, quote, He's not only a great receiver, but he's a great blocker. He can do a lot of different things that most receivers aren't willing to do. I just think he brings a great presence to that room. Uh, he went on and on, and he talked about some early impressions about the maturity, uh, about the personality fit on the field, off the field, the things that Fleming has been doing in the weight room, the things he's been doing during some of those throwing sessions. Again, he says, quote, I've been nothing but impressed by Julian. He handles everything the right way and approaches everything like a pro. So there, just to summarize it with that last line from, from Drew Aller, seems like this is going really well so far. Now, one thing that we have to monitor with Julian Fleming is his health because it has impacted his availability and his ability to produce in the past that during his college career. Now, if he can be healthy this season and if he's going to establish a rapport with Drew Aller, which Julian told us back in early January, that was high on his priority list to get on the same page with the quarterbacks starting with QB1 and Aller, there is a lot to like about the launch pad that's maybe being laid out here. And we're going to talk about some good feedback on Keandre Lambert-Smith as well. But to me, in a room that didn't really lose anybody, we, we, we talked about Dante Cephas was here and gone. We talked about Christian Driver, one catch on the season. Those are the only guys you lost. So you're counting on kind of a, a, a swell from within, but you're also got this guy that shows up and brings a lot to the table, has a lot of recruiting cachet in his background, and the big thing we keep hearing about him beyond all the stuff I just said Drew Aller told us and that I just laid out is that he is not leading uh, the charge from a vocal standpoint yet. He didn't show up and start shouting at people and saying, here's how we did it at Ohio State. What are you doing it this way for? He's shown up and he's listened first. He's talked second. James Franklin was complimentary of that last week. And I think hearing from guys like Drew Aller and tight end Tyler Warren over the weekend on campus just reiterating that Julian Fleming is kind of in information gathering phase right now. And I expect when they get on the field for spring practices and the whistles are blown and the competition accelerates, that's going to be where he can really make his move as a mainstay kind of leadership council member of this roster. I, I think it was really good to hear Drew Aller echo what James Franklin was saying um, about Julian Fleming in terms of the keeping his head down and kind of working. To, to earn his spot, you know, not coming in with with a sense of entitlement, like you said, not kind of flexing that that Ohio State uh, pedigree around. Um, but I, I think that the way that Aller framed it as being open minded, uh, asking a lot of questions, I, I think that 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 really stands out because this is the time of year where you really learn. You know, you're installing this offense. Um, you know, for Julian Fleming, you're, you're learning. You had familiarity with this program, but you're really learning how things work, how things are done here, uh, especially with a new offensive coordinator coming in. So I, I think that that really stands out to me. Um, I, I think that he's probably, you know, he's done this before. He's a veteran. Uh, also, this is kind of his his last chance to be yeah. a number one receiver. You know, he was in the shadows of some really, really big names at Ohio State. Um, so this is his opportunity. And um, I, I think that it kind of shows the deliberate way he's approaching it. And then, like you said, when, things really get going in March, that's when he can make his move. And it does sound like he's doing everything he can right now to set himself up for that.
one other line from from Drew Aller on, on Julian Fleming, who he said is really, uh, really, as you said, been open minded. But he said, quote, he's also bringing the young guys along. I think he's a great mentor for all of them. And again, this is a guy who's been on campus for for six, seven weeks. That, that's 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 pretty much exactly what you'd be hoping to hear right now regarding Julian Fleming before this team is actually out there officially throwing the football around in a practice setting. And, and by the way, Keandre Lambert Smith, let's not overlook his presence. He has better career statistics than Julian Fleming, of course, in a very different wide receiver room. But for two, uh, probably two thirds of the regular season last year, you could say that that he he did his best in that number one wide receiver role, putting up numbers. He had a fairly big game against Maryland early November, but after that, he was a, a missing component of this offense. Even when they found some success late in the season, following the firing of Mike Yersich, four game sample size there, I think he was under thirty total receiving yards. So you'd wonder if Keandre Lambert Smith was going to be back with this program. He had to take that COVID eligibility to do so, and that has happened. And I can tell you. He is bought in from uh, from a Thon standpoint, at the very least, because he was the man on the mic for the most part there during this event at Penn State practice facilities. He was the MC of the karaoke. Oftentimes, he was the one belting out the music in the karaoke. So I'll tell you this. He, he, Keandre Lambert-Smith looks like he is having fun on campus here on this particular day. I think he's a guy that, that people are wondering, is he still having fun as a Penn State football player? So will he be productive again is the next question. Penn State certainly needs that production. And he's the guy that you look beyond Julian Fleming, you look at Harrison Wallace, and you look at Keandre Lambert-Smith. They've logged some starts in their careers. And here's what Drew Aller had to say about Keandre Lambert-Smith in 2024 thus far. Quote, Dre has been putting his head down and grinding. He's living in the weight room, whether it be stretching, getting on the jugs, or lifting weights. He's attacking everything. We know the type of competitor he is. He's a very strong competitor by nature. I think he's done a great job of bringing the younger guys along in the receiver room and being very positive with them, talking with things with them about his past experiences. Uh, so, look, that's all you can really ask for as well. If Drew Aller's feedback there is what you're getting out of, of Keandre Lambert-Smith, a motivated uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, someone who is – bringing guys underneath his wing. That's what you're looking for from a fifth-year senior. He's one of a few guys on this team who opted in for that COVID year of eligibility. So, Daniel, he was a perplexing figure of Penn State's finish to the season and after the Peach Bowl especially. And yet here we are, and it's very much matching up with what we heard about Keandre Lambert-Smith last year. We actually had a chance to hear from him last February at the Thon event, and he was telling us how he'd been living in team facilities, how he knew it was his big year of an opportunity. And maybe this feels like a bit of a redo for Keandre Lambert-Smith and in a way for the passing attack as a whole here in 2024. But it seems like Keandre Lambert-Smith decided, and I'm sure there was some significant dialogue with the coaching staff to get them to this point, but decided that it was worth it for all parties to run this thing back, see what it can look like for another year. And you know Drew Aller is rooting for Keandre Lambert-Smith to maximize his opportunity in year five. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a similar thing to Julian Fleming with, with what we talked about, where it, you know, it's your last chance that the you know the clock is kind of up on you. And, you know, for you know, they had different paths to get to this point. And I think for Keandre Lambert Smith, um, you know, that path kind of started out linear with how he performed as a freshman, then took a step forward as a sophomore. Um, but then these past two years have really, really been up and down you have that stretch from the end of the 2022 season through the beginning of the 2023 season where you really saw him kind of step up as a, as, as a number one receiver. Big play um, dry. Big yeah. Play dry. So that's where they were calling him in September. It, it was showing up and 
that kind of just really disappeared down the stretch. And so I think that he's someone who needs kind of to, to reset going into this year, um, you know, get in like he's been doing, get in the weight room, you know, get with Drew Aller, get back on the same page and kind of get one last go on, go at this. Um, I think that we've seen that potential and we've seen that skill set uh, over the course of his four years at Penn state. I mean, you know, he has been big play Trey uh, at, at certain times this year. And um, he's a, the type of wide receiver that can change the shape of the defense. So um, I think that it's re- it's pretty crucial for him, um, especially when you just think about the experience levels um, in this room. I mean, you know, other guys who are in their, their fourth or fifth years, it's guys like Malik McLean, Malik Mega, um, you know, Liam Clifford and Trey Wallace are in their fourth years now. There's just kind of not a lot of proven experience and production in that room. Um, and so bringing in Julian Fleming, I think that that'll help Keandre Lambert Smith because it's, you know, another, you know, mostly proven commodity that'll be out there on the field with him that um, opposing defenses are going to have to pay attention to. But you, he's someone where when you project it forward, I mean, you want him to step up you want him to be able to produce um you know if you want this offense to maybe get close to what you think it can be lambert smith went from 24 catches for 389 yards in 2022 and, and remember a lot of that production was the very end of november and then the rose bowl in 2023 set career highs with 53 catches for 673 yards and four touchdowns but as we mentioned those numbers seemed like they were going to be a lot higher looked like he might be a thousand yard receiver at one point but the final four matchups of the season uh largely a non-factor in this pass attack and let's go over to somebody who kind of on the opposite end of this one finished last season on a much higher note than how they spent much of it and that's nick singleton Penn State's junior running back, like Drew Aller, year three, like Katron Allen. There's a lot of guys you can list who are in year three all of a sudden that were part of that highly touted 2022 freshman class. And many of them may all of a sudden be in their last years on campus. And at the running back position, you can usually hang your hat on that. And I'm curious, Daniel, you're the one who got a chance to go through Nick Singleton audio and and kind of uh, digest what you heard from him. I have not had a chance to do that. So I'm going to let you lead the way on this one. Yeah, I think Nick Singleton has a lot of excitement for this year in that running back room. Uh, you've got a lot of young guys um, there that are going to be competing for playing time. Um, I think that you know he and Katron Allen are pretty ensconced in that number one, one A, one B role um, at the top there. But what's happening behind them is going to be really, really intriguing. You know, Trey Potts isn't there anymore to be the number three, so you know guys are going to compete. And so I think to hear from Nick Singleton about what he's seen from the room, how he's seen guys like Cam Wallace, London Montgomery, and even Quentin Martin really take to things and, and develop so far this winter, um, I thought was was really, really interesting to hear. Um, you know, Singleton is always kind of uh, a soft-spoken guy, um, doesn't really toot his own horn too much. Um, but, you know, I think that he is kind of looking forward to what those younger guys can do. And I think that he also realizes that it's really important <laughs> to a, to a running back room to, <clears throat> excuse me, have that number three guy, have that number four guy that can step in when you need them. Yeah. And remember it took a long time for us to get to the point where Nick Singleton was running free and, and beating defensive secondaries down the field and was doing those, those home runs t- type of hits that we saw throughout his freshman year. 
but we got a nice glimpse of that on the road against Michigan State. It was a pretty beleaguered Spartan squad that uh, that evening in Detroit, but then he followed it up. And as we said, we were really focusing in on Nick Singleton in the postgame as a server lining because the way he was running the football, the way he was finding holes, uh, the way he was doing things as a receiver over the course of the season, uh, Nick Singleton found something down the stretch as a sophomore, and you hope that he builds off of that this offseason and what could be a tremendously uh, productive junior season for him and Catron Allen combined in that backfield. And as Daniel mentioned, a nice competition brewing behind them to replace Trey Potts as the third running back and maybe the next man up in 2025. Daniel, we also heard from Tyler Warren, and, and you want to talk about a win for this roster when he elects a few days before uh, this team's trip down to Atlanta to announce that he will be staying put in 2024 at the tight end spot. I mean, it was a huge boost for Drew Aller and company, Andy Kotelnicki, everyone involved with this offensive process because Theo Johnson's going to be a, a loss that you feel at tight end. And then if you took Tyler Warren off the field, those are two guys that rarely left the offensive equation for them during the 2023 season. So Warren, after a seven-touchdown season in, in which he breaks out and, and, and becomes a really key red zone target in the last five games of the season, goes 14-plus on receptions in each of them. So you saw some field-stretching ability from Warren as well, which is something that we didn't necessarily see the first few years of his career. You thought maybe he'd be tempted. Instead, he sticks with Penn State, and, and he talked to it, uh, about it again on Saturday, just reiterating his, his motivation to do that. Uh, it just says he's a Penn State guy. Um, ultimately, he says that that he felt like this team had more to accomplish. He wanted to be a part of that. This is where he belonged this year. Naturally, that leads you to believe that Tyler Warren is going to be a centerpiece leader figure in year number five, a guy who's logged a bunch of Big Ten snaps in his career. And that is accurate. But as you know, Daniel, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, for as similar as they have may, may have been in recent years, especially last seasons, for their responsibilities and, and their, their duties on the field, different dudes. Theo Johnson, one of the more vocal members of this roster. He was elected a team captain last August. Tyler Warren very well may be elected a team captain come August, but he talked about it today and we've heard it from teammates. The vocal component is not natural for him. He is a very much a lead by example guy. He carries as much respect as anybody. He's played through some significant injuries that maybe could have kept other guys sidelined. He has also been someone who just shows up and works, whether it's February, March, or December. So when it comes to Tyler Warren, the respect is there, but I'm curious to see how it goes from a personality standpoint. He said he knows it's something he needs to work on, uh, and it's a young tight ends room for the most part. Khalil Dinkins is, is kind of the next guy up in terms of a veteran, but has not played a ton of expanded snaps. So Tyler Warren, a lot of, a lot of young, talented tight ends are looking up at him this season. And additionally, Drew Aller says that that he's in some ways is still looking up at Tyler Warren because he's considered that kind of a level leader for these Nittany lines. I think inside that tight end room, just kind of the the circumstances and, and the makeup of it will necessitate uh, Tyler Warren being more of a vocal leader because you go back two years ago and it's Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren. And like you said, Johnson is kind of a big personality. And I think Strange was also, you know, pretty intense and also kind of a bit of a vocal personality. And then you go to last year and it's kind of a 1A, 1B situation with Johnson and Warren. And now it's just kind of Tyler Warren as the number one. Um, you know, Khalil Dinkins is someone who is going into his fourth year, but he doesn't necessarily have the same kind of track record and and cash that I think Tyler Warren had at that point in his career um, based on production. So it is kind of Tyler Warren's room. Um, Penn State has really built the youth in there. You, know, you still got Jerry Cross in there. 
you got Andrew Rappelier, uh, you got Joey Schlaffer, uh, and then you have Luke Reynolds in there now too. Um, I'm probably missing someone. <laughs> and so you know, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of personalities, um, you know, kind of a, a lot of work um, that Tyler Warren is going to have to do in, in bringing those guys along. Um, and you alluded to it that you think that Tyler Warren is a potential team captain this fall. And, um, you know, I, I think I agree with that. Um, you know, someone else that we talked to on, uh, on Saturday was, was KJ Winston. And after the game, KJ Winston and Tyler Warren were the two guys that Penn state brought out to the podium. Um, they were also the two that when we first got down to Atlanta, that, that Penn state put on zoom, uh, to, to talk to us. And so I think that, you know, James Franklin doesn't do stuff like that on accident. Um, and then you know, after the press conference, uh, Franklin pulled Winston and Warren aside for for a couple minutes, and Winston said that the message there was just kind of to you know be leaders, kind of keep that team together, set the tone going into the off season. So I, I think that you're looking for a kind of a, a big year from Tyler Warren, not just on the field in the tight end. And I think that he's someone who we should be really excited about seeing what he can do in Andy Kotelnicki's offense. But I think from a locker room perspective, Warren is, is going to have to be a, you know, a big presence, maybe be a little bit more vocal uh, than, than he has been in the past. And that's going to be, I think, something to track this season. At six foot six uh, and, and close about 260 pounds now, he, he certainly provides a presence. He's got the beard going now, and he's come a long way from the Virginia Tech quarterback commit uh, down in high school in Virginia to where he is now, a guy who had not played the tight end position before he got to Penn State, invested in it, and we've seen what the byproduct has been. I'm really interested to, a year from now if, if Warren is able to fulfill some of these things. And, and Ty Howell, the tight ends coach, told me this winter, that, that that their goal as a staff is not only to win games with Tyler Warren involved, but they want him to be, quote, as marketable as possible this time next year with the NFL draft. They said, quote, I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone, did Ty Howell. So you're talking about a guy who had 15 career catches before the 2023 campaign. And so I think there is another major step to be taken forward. And, and just looking long term, and maybe it happens this year, maybe it doesn't, but who carries that personality of just a natural – you know, yell, lead, you know, whatever you want to call it inside end. Andrew Rappelier, to me, and I think we probably mentioned in the past, he has a lot of those innate abilities in the way he talks and, and the way he kind of directs um, and the way he can kind of, uh, you know, converse with his peers. But the guy's played two or three games in his college career. So he's not going to be that guy now. Tyler Warren is the leader of this room. We'll see who ultimately rises up to spend time on him with the on the field this year with Theo Johnson, Elf in the NFL. Let's finish with, with someone you mentioned there, KJ Winston, on the defensive side of things, someone who also looks like maybe a projectable uh, safety or a projectable captain uh, come 2024 fall, but also one that we have circled since his uh, freshman year, really, as a major – major potential safety a guy that we could also be talking about in a different light come next year year two as a starter it's going to be a big deal for anthony poindexter and this defensive unit for what he's going to do on the field but what are you hearing about kj winston from kj winston here in february about how things are a little bit different aside from him wearing number two right now as a junior Winston is has kind of uh he's he's moved up the power rankings of of guys that you really enjoy talking to. Uh he's always got really good insight, is really thorough with his answers, is is really honest with us, uh, which is which is always pretty fun. Um he is switching from 21 to 2. He said that two was his high school number, and he likes the having the single digit 
Um, I think he said he he likes how how that looks. Um, he said that he wore 21 uh, to honor Sean Taylor. He said that's a, his all-time favorite safety, um, which is a you know, pretty good safety to be looking up to um, as a as a young player. But I think talking to KJ Winston, I, you know, a lot of our conversation with him, um, you know, really kind of focused on his role from the off-field perspective, from a leadership perspective. Um, you know, I mentioned kind of him and Warren seem to be two that James Franklin is really going to be leaning on and, and looking to um, this season. And he said that it, it is kind of the thing where you sort of look around after a little bit and suddenly you're older. Um, and he talked about how it's one of his goals to know everyone's name in the building, to be able to talk to everyone um, and, you know, kind of have a relationship so that, you know, no matter what's going on and no matter, you know, kind of which, which position he's with or something like that, you know, he can relate, he can be part of the team. Um, and, and this is something that he talked with us about last year over the course of the season that you know, it was the way that he is approaching things. And I, I think that he is someone that you can kind of tell has a little bit of a rare makeup um, in, in how he goes about things and kind of sees a, a very big picture. So I'm excited to see you know, what we're going to get from Winston this year. Um, you know, he and Jalen Reed did a really nice job last year of locking down those two safety spots. You know, we talked about it before about how in you know 2022 you you had that kind of four-man rotation and last year there really wasn't a rotation it was mostly reed and winston with a little bit of zaki wheatley and a little bit of keaton ellis um so i, I think that kj winston is is poised for a significant year in in a number of ways both on the field and off it'd be fun to follow what he has in store for as a junior uh daniel gown good stuff that this stunt event we should say we spoke with all these players after watching them do karaoke with these young kids ride tricycles like i say six foot eight nolan rucci riding a tricycle was a sight to behold um they, they were just some of these young kids and their families are dealing with what many of us would be considered you know hellish circumstances and 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 just you know where's your motivation each day how are you finding it and this kind of a, a moment in time this afternoon this day on a saturday in happy valley was really a chance to get away from all that and make these kids feel like you know the kings of the world the queens of the world and i think penn state football and their role in that responsibility they certainly stepped up to the plate and we've seen that on an annual basis so i want to tip my cap and i know you feel the same way daniel from what we got to witness for about an hour over there at football practice facilities and then of course we got to dive in and ask some football questions because that's part of our job but daniel has a great story kind of wrapping up what some of this opportunity meant to penn state football players over at our site at lines247.com and how it played a role in the 2024 uh, thon weekend so daniel appreciate the coverage over at lines247.com the conversation here i'll talk to you real soon thanks tyler Good stuff, as always, from my colleagues and Daniel Gallon and before him, Tyler Calvaruso, breaking down the commitment from Lyric Samuel and everything else happening in the Penn State recruiting world right now. On behalf of our crew at Lines247.com, I am Tyler Donahue saying goodbye for now. We'll be back with the second episode this week. We've got a guest lined up that I think you're all going to be happy to hear from, and we'll talk to him in just a couple of days. Uh, stay tuned for whatever surfaces from the recruiting realm and from the Penn State football program as it works its way toward a uh, spring practice tip-off uh, just a, a matter of weeks away now, which is a pretty exciting. And by the way, Penn State Hoops back in action Wednesday. What will that new look Nittany Lions squad uh, be dealing with without Kanye Clary? Daniel Gallon did a good job laying that one out, and it'll be pretty interesting to keep our fingers on the pulse of that program for the remaining five matchups. Stepping aside for now, I am Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.